Welcome to the Viscast, everybody. This is a follow-up episode on Advent. It's a short episode, and we spend a good deal of the time talking about our feelings about the way in which the second coming is described in the New Testament. So if you listened, if you're one of the few people who listened to this podcast and you listened all the way to the outro and listened to the outro of the last podcast, I said this next one would be a bit more constructive. That is not as true as I had hoped. There is some constructive stuff in this one. Maybe more than usual. I'm not sure. But a good deal of it is still deconstructive. I suppose that's just where we're at. And maybe the constructive part of us is yet to come. So I hope you enjoy it. Um, I hope you enjoy that it's relatively short. We are probably not going to do another Advent episode, but rather are going to move on to talking about atonement theories. So stay tuned. So I've been thinking, and I have over the years thought a lot about the first coming and how it ends. So the first coming being Jesus being born to Mary and the ending being ascension to heaven, so leaving. And leaving with things unresolved. I think no matter how you feel about the the state of the kingdom of God, um, some think it's here but not fully fulfilled. That's the already not yet category. That's where most people fall. I don't know anybody who's like, this is it. Though I I might be in that category um, myself. But I I don't know very many people or, or theologians who put it that way. But he leaves, and it's unresolved. And 2,000 years later, it's still unresolved. Because it's unresolved, you have this idea of a final resolution, and that's the second coming. And that's Jesus returning and finally setting everything right, once and for all. First coming was uh, region-specific, right? Nobody in China knew anything about Jesus that he was on the scene when Jesus, apparently when Jesus comes a second time, nobody's going to miss it, right? Everybody will be involved. And I think no matter where you go to get information about the second coming, the most specific account of it is the book of Revelation. But Jesus seems to give, not seems to give, does give explanation of what it will look like here and there in the synoptic gospels Matthew, Mark and Luke. Paul here and there gives some ideas of what it will look like, you know, in Thessalonians I think it is. He says, you know, we'll meet Jesus in the air. No matter where you go, there is ultimately a negative part of the second coming. It's either really negative, in my opinion, meaning very violent. Revelation is extremely violent, I think, by any interpretation has to just admit that that's true. I think Jesus' vision of it also included violence because it included judgment, and 
you know, you can go to places like Matthew 25 where Jesus talks about mainly what will be the criteria for that judgment. And that's the uh, what you did to the least of these will decide your fate. But the fate of some people is being thrown into, I think it's thrown into hell in Matthew 25, where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth or eternal destruction. Um, These are things Jesus says about the fate of some people when the kingdom finally comes. The surprise twist for the disciples was that it didn't come in that definitive way, right? And that's the reason that when Jesus was arrested, it was chaos for his disciples. Um, And there would have been many of them, not just the 12, but we hear about a few of them, Peter mainly, um, but also Judas. It's chaos. It's what is happening. This isn't what we thought was going to happen Um, because Jesus had talked about this kingdom that was going to come and Let's say that for the disciples, and this is speaking very roughly and without adequate knowledge of to exactly what they thought, but let's say something more like Revelation is thought what they thought they were signing up for, and that they would be on the good side of Revelation, meaning they wouldn't be suffering and dying, but they would see their enemies suffering and dying, including, supernaturally, Satan and demons being destroyed. But instead... We get Jesus dying and then rising again. And then, I think somewhat maybe surprisingly, again, I think to the disciples as well, leaving and leaving it unresolved. And that's where we are now, right? We're in this place of the world is as complex and confusing and messy as it's ever been, perhaps. I think it's gotten generally better there's less suffering uh, and there are, there are people who write about this and and say look there's a lot of bad things still happening in the world but in general there's much less hunger and, and those sort of things and i think there's some truth to that so i'll admit that but human existence the being a human being you know is as complicated as it's ever been and so when i think about the two The natural culmination of Jesus and what he was teaching would have been something like Revelation. That is a violent, definitive intervention by God. And instead, God didn't intervene, except perhaps at Jesus' resurrection, which was the intervention on behalf of one person, but not an intervention on behalf of all dead people, Right. right, or all the people of the world. It didn't clearly change this this place, earth. It didn't clearly change human existence, not in the way that the second coming is purportedly going to. So when I think about the, the difference between those two, at least now I think about it as which one gives us a more useful positive, perhaps, message? Or or which one of those two is more attractive to me? Right. Right? If I can can be so bold, and I think we should be so bold as to think about it that way. Um, What's a message that would lead to human flourishing? Would lead me 
to be a better father and a better husband and a better son and a better friend. And I think for me it's rather clear that there's something in the first part with its surprise ending that has more to offer Mm -hmm. than the second one. There's nothing about the second one that I find attractive. Mm -hmm. Literally nothing. I I don't, if that's going to be the second coming, I hope it never happens, frankly. Mm -hmm. It's awful. Mm -hmm. It is, it couldn't be a more worldly view of how God will decisively make everything better. Right. It is God acting as a global tyrant mm-hmm. with unlimited power so he can just wipe out whomever God wants, mm-hmm. right? Do whatever God wants with this earth and with the people on it. Mm-hmm. And I am hopeful that the guy, and I believe that the God of the universe isn't like that, frankly. If God is like that, he's not worthy of the title, basically. Yeah. We want to believe, and I think most of us do believe, the God of the universe is better than us. He doesn't, he doesn't um, take all our worst qualities and magnify them to infinite power. And Revelation is just, here's my revenge. Here's my revenge at the end of all this. I don't know what good there is to take from that. I know that people look at Revelation and they see descriptions of God and what heaven is like, and some people find that attractive, and even those parts I don't find terribly attractive, to be honest, because it's a it's a needy God, isn't it? If we're honest. Yeah, very. I've said that on many different occasions about how we approach worship. We approach worship as if our God is a needy God who who needs to hear us tell him how great he is and so forth and so on. I remember in a one of the novels uh, that I was reading about the uh, birth of England, the um, author has this character who uh, is... Uh, is the main character, and he's a Anglo-Saxon who was raised by the Vikings. So he's kind of split, and he works with Edwards. But at one point, he's talking about one of his nobles, one of the one of the Viking nobles, or one of the Viking leaders, because all these Vikings have these big halls where they feast and party, and where there's stuff going on all the time. I mean, you know, that's their kind of picture of Valhalla, which is the contrast of they have to heaven. And he talks about this guy and he says, he's, he says about this guy. Yeah. He, he brings in people and all day long they tell him how great he is and they sing songs to him. And, uh, he says, and then he, and then he makes this, this connection to God to the Christian God. And he said, and it sounds a lot to me like your God. He says to the priest, he sounds a lot to me like your God. He says to the priest, it's one of those kind of, uh, you read it and you almost feel like somebody just reached out of the pages and slapped you on the face. 
because it's so true. That's exactly right. So is there then something from the first coming that offers us something different? Um, I think there is. The difficulty is that we have mainly made the first coming about a, a salvation formula. And not only, we talk about being like Jesus, and I, I think we're on to something there. But mainly, um, the death and resurrection are a part of some formula that grants us salvation in this future kingdom that is to come. And then the sheer bizarre nature of it is often lost on us and it was lost on me for a long time. So instead of God intervening dramatically into this world or just into the life of Jesus, Jesus is left to suffer and die a very gruesome death and something about God in this case choosing not to intervene and allowing Jesus um, not requiring I think that's a mistake personally I think that's a mistake but uh, allowing Jesus to suffer and die as we all will and we all do there's something there that's useful for us um, I don't know always what it is for sure, but what I've said at times is a God who chooses to come into this world and then suffer and die in the way we all will is a lot more interesting to me. There's just a lot more to get from that story than a God who comes in and, and triumphs because none of us get to live our lives and ultimately triumph instead we have many tri you know sometimes if we're lucky we have little triumphs along the way but it's intermingled with a lot of sadness and difficulty and then it ends with death so i just feel like there's something there and it seems to be leading us it leads me to say the message is somehow dig into this life, yeah. into this place, yeah. into the people around you, and find a way, find contentment, find joy, suffer through setbacks and pain. There's something very this world oriented towards that story um, that feels real to me and, and feels to me like it has something to teach me that the other story just totally fails at, in my yeah. opinion. Yeah, and, and I think along with that, Josh, I would say that there's an invitation in the way you present this to accept ourselves uh, with less judgment on what we do who we see ourselves as or, or how we see ourselves living with less judgment, accept ourselves 
more readily and more easily and more graciously. And then I would say, also would say, accept others in the same way. I mean, I think about like, if if we think about, if we spend time thinking about Jesus as a baby and then uh, growing up, and we stop thinking about him as some perfect child, whatever that means, but as a child, and being a child the best you can, or being a child is in itself perfect. I mean, a two-year-old child is perfect in that it's a two-year-old child or a six-year-old child or a 10-year-old child or a 12-year-old child or a 16-year-old child, and I just named my four grandchildren. You know, you know, some would say, well, your four grandchildren aren't like Jesus. I'd say, no, but the whole point of the first coming is that Jesus was like them. This is what humanity looks like, and Jesus came to experience it, you know, and did. And, I mean, it just feels to me to be able to say, you know, just cut cut yourself some slack, cut your kids some slack, cut your grandchildren some slack, cut your neighbors some slack. Everybody's trying. Well, I wonder about so some people asked me at the end of the last trip, they said, well, because I really emphasize the human side of Jesus, maybe all the way to a point where they said, well, what about the divine side? And they asked me that question because I, I'll be honest, I'm not interested in Jesus's divine side. When I read the Gospel of John, I find it a caricature of an actual person. I think there are wonderful teachings in the Gospel of John, but I don't think the figure of Jesus in the Gospel of John to be very interesting because hes it's like somebody put a divine brain into a person and they get to walk around knowing everything perfectly, um, no confusion about the ultimate plan of things or what's going to happen. That's just not interesting to me. So what I said to the to this person, I, s- I said, I'd rather really dig into the human side of Jesus and wonder about his divine side yeah, that's really rather than what I think is often, the, it's usually flipped on its head, right? Totally acknowledge, talk exclusively about the divine side of Jesus and just sort of wonder about the human side or just admit, well, he was a human. Look, he actually died like a human dies. It's just not interesting to me. And I think we might be able then to do the same thing with ourselves, which is dig into our humanity, um, as we all are basically forced to do, and wonder if there's something divine around us, in us, in humanity at all. Is there? Could there be? Maybe there could be. I mean, I'm open to the possibility. Truly, truly, I am. I do think there are moments in our lives that feel different or feel differently than other moments. There's something about them. Something just, But they're glimpses. They're so subtle. For me, anyways, I, I'm just I'm speaking of, of myself. Some, but there are times when it feels like, oh, this moment's fuller than other moments are. Or like I get, I don't know, I feel like I'm getting it. Just for a minute. I'm not I know I'm not I won't stay this way. The moment won't stay this way. 
not everybody here is feeling this. I'm just, I think just I'm feeling it. Or maybe, maybe we're in a place together and, and a bunch of us are feeling something different about this moment than other moments in my life. I think that a, a God who comes, struggles as a human, or even just, a, I should say it this way, a person who lives in that way and teaches a lot of beautiful things and then doesn't, isn't saved from being human, ultimately raised... So I will admit, I, d- I don't know how that fits into the thing I'm talking about right now. Something I'm thinking a lot about. There's something really interesting to grab onto there and think about in a way that the second coming story as it's told in the way that it's all-encompassing and everything at the end of it is perfect. All the tears are wiped away and everything's perfect and we all live happily ever after. That's not an interesting story. Stories that end with happily ever after are children's stories. Those are stories we tell to our children because we want them to f- we want to comfort them. But we don't tell those stories to adults because they're simplistic. They don't match up with what we live out here day in d- day in and day out. I love the way your mind works, Josh. I, I always have. And uh, seen this in you since you were young, little even, the way your mind works and the way you're so curious and fearless about these things. And I wish that, uh, you know, I, I hope that more of us can, can develop that kind of fearlessness to say, I'm not afraid to ask these questions. I'm not afraid of God. I, I mean, not afraid to ask these. I'm not afraid to challenge the Bible. I'm not afraid to question the Bible. I'm not a not afraid of that. There's a there's a trust you have in whatever this this thing is that we connect with the divine. There's a trust you have in it that is so powerful, and I am so grateful for it. Yeah, we've we've said. No, I don't think we said it in this podcast, but I heard it in another podcast. The Bible should function as a conversation starter, not as a conversation yeah. ender. And um, I think maybe it was Rachel Held Evans who said this in another podcast I was listening to. And I thought that that shorthand for what, how the Bible should function is excellent. But it takes it takes time. Sometimes it takes permission from somebody else to sort of demonstrate like I'm doing this and I'm not I'm not afraid to be doing it and I, I think it's okay if we all do it. To do that, um we're used to using utilizing the Bible to get to get it right. Like we'll go to the Bible to figure it out. Right? <laughs> ultimate reality, like ultimate truth to figure it out. And um I just don't think there's a lot of life in doing that, I don't find any life in doing it that way. Um, but I do find life in continuing to utilize the Bible as a source for possible answers to my questions. Because the questions are, n- they're just never going to go away. I think the thing that 
the thing I want people to get comfortable with is that the questions never end. They just, they never end. You will live with questions until you die, if you're willing to entertain them. And you will find it, possibly, I find it um, exhilarating, life-giving, to really, really go after those questions without fear of people saying, those are the, well, you're giving answers to the questions, but those aren't the right answers. Because who, who has the right answers? That's crazy. It's crazy. People have good answers. There are better answers and worse answers. But the idea that somebody, this guy over there, has the right answers about God and ultimate reality and um, the human condition, nuts. That's totally nuts. But we we have better and better answers and worse answers, I think. But I think what I've tried to do is find a level, a level of comfortability with engaging the big questions and being curious and, and playful with answering them and, and honest with myself. Right, exactly. Right? And, to, and to urge other people like, hey, let's just be honest about yeah. it. Hey, thanks for listening. Stay tuned for a few podcasts on atonement theories. If you don't know what atonement is, it's a made-up English word meaning at one mint. And it has to do with trying to understand Jesus's life, but mainly his death and resurrection and what that accomplishes, if anything. Maybe put more simply, why did Jesus have to die at all? And why was he raised? These are good questions, and we are going to talk about them in the upcoming episodes.